From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Unleashing the Beast. Mark Morano is unleashed on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome to Unleashed with Mark Morano here on TNT Radio. Well, it's official. Climate activists now targeting Christmas and gift giving and the entire season. And we'll go through some of this here. Uh, Dennis Prager has a great article, and it's based on a UK, uh, tele- UK Daily Mail article out of England. They are coming for the idea of gift giving because consumerism is bad for carbon footprints, bad for the planet. And this is the kind of world on which we live now. Now, this was a UK Guardian, It's and it's got some, you know, if you're against consumerism, you might, some of this might ring true, but it profiles a woman who wrote about giving up Christmas. According to the UK Guardian, last year, surrounded by wrapping paper and abandoned gifts, I suggested to my husband that we shouldn't buy anything for each other or the children. Um, and they started saying, we're not going to buy presents for the gifts because they're increasingly worried of the global impact of our purchases. Everything we buy from the kids will go into the landfill. Now, two sides to that, obviously, consumerism, waste, and, and the first world, you know, and Christmas is probably gluttonous for especially many families of wealth in America and in wealthy societies, understood. Um, and they go on and talk about the plastics and the planet's on fire. Uh, so when they get into this, they're now doing it because they're worried that the planet's on fire. And this is where they're completely losing you know, all semblance of reality here. And we are at a moment of reckoning and have been for some time. And so they're, she says she says they're forcing this rule in the family. No other extended family members are allowed to buy gifts for their kids because the planet's on fire. We should have the echo effect there. The planet is on fire. Now, this goes along with years ago, I wrote about this Greens stump for a treeless Christmas. Great headline. Uh, And that was environmental activists worried about the carbon footprint and the environmental degradation of cutting down a Christmas tree. Now, despite the fact that trees are a renewable resource and with modern logging techniques, you can have the same animal species and and plant species recovering within seven years or less. And I'm talking about massive commercial logging, not necessarily Christmas tree logging, which is much tiny in scale comparatively. Uh, But it's ultimately a picture of wanting to suck the happiness out of life and wanting to suck tradition. And it's also this idea, and I would compare it to COVID masking. They knew masks didn't work. How do we know that? Because every single publication from the New England Journal of Medicine to officials from Anthony Fauci to corporate media outlets like the Washington Post said it all. Even at the beginning of the pandemic, there was no evidence they ever worked. Even back in the, the, the first few times they tried it during the Spanish flu. But what this kind of stuff does, it sends a message to everyone around you that this is serious. You're not giving my kids a gift because the planet's on fire. And you walk in a Walmart and you see someone with a mask, you're wearing a mask because people are dying and we we need to be restricted. Our movement and our freedoms need to be restricted. That is what this is all about. And that is why the Greens stumped for a treeless Christmas. And then you have other corollary aspects of this. You have Greenpeace, which for years has gone after 
uh, children and targeted children with the idea that the North Pole is melting and Santa is losing his home. They've had video ads, they've had print ads, they've had actors portraying Santa doing this whole silly thing, anything they can do to scare the kids and get them to pester their parents. And the weird reason I use the word pester is because because of this the idea that the planet is burning. Australian schools, uh, I think it was last year, 2022, handed out cricket-based snacks to all their kids and told the and these were not eating crickets, not visible crickets. They were cricket flour ground up to make chips with barbecue and salt and oil and all. You know, wouldn't even know it was an insect. But the kids were like, wow, insects taste yummy. Give me more of those chips. And they were told to go home and pester their parents about uh, eating insects and how they, they, were, they were yummy and there's no reason they should be afraid of it. Welcome to the lab-grown meat insect-eating world. So that's what's going on with this whole war on Christmas. It's a war on modernity, which I never liked that word, modernity, but modernity of modern times. And the idea is we can't go on the way we have. We need to do with less. We need to travel less. We need to eat less you know, healthy foods. And I would include meat in that category. Uh, we need to eat more processed food. We need to eat lab-grown meat. We need to eat insects, which I guess isn't as processed, right? If you eat uh, a bowl of cockroaches or crickets, you're eating it right from the source. That's uh, about as organic as you get, I guess, on some level. But you know, this is what they're pushing. This is what they're doing. This is the insanity. And it goes just beyond targeting Christmas. I have here a clip, I believe, uh, and I'm, I'll get, get all confused with my clips. This will be clip three. This is me on Fox News talking about state of Washington threatening people with jail time for using gas-powered leaf blowers. So remember, this is voluntary. You don't get kids. Kids don't get presents. Santa's is melting. You're not allowed to buy a Christmas tree. Consumerism's you know, driving this burning planet. And if you don't go along with the agenda, we'll throw jail at you. So let's watch clip three of me on Fox and Friends with uh, Fox host Rachel Campos Duffy. Yeah, I mean, this is where it's insane. And they're threatening jail time for using leaf blowers, for using uh, lawn mowers, for a whole host of just landscape equipment. What this does, first of all, it does nothing for U.S. emissions, does nothing for global emissions. Even if you believe carbon dioxide is the devil's, you know, the devil's breath destroying the earth, Absolutely, it's total virtue signaling on the climate. When it comes to what it does to Americans, this crushes small business startups. This, if you were a, trying to start a landscaping company, a tree cutting service, you can't afford it. The, the alternative of what they're trying to impose. And again, most of these bans, as the case of California, are happening without any democracy, and they're crushing people, and they're now threatening them with jail. What's next? Are they going to start threatening people with jail? Uh, you know, if you have a, if if you. Uh, if you fly on a plane too many times, because yeah. CNN is already promoting carbon passports, so you yeah. can't fly a limited, only fly a limited number of times. Are you going to get jail if you drive a car that's gas powered? I mean, that's where we're headed. Yeah, and there's absolutely no question in my mind, Mark, that this is exactly where they're heading. And by the way, state of Washington, Seattle, you have a lot of bigger problems than, uh, than lawn blowers. Um, yes. It's just such a misprioritization of what people really care about. And as you said, no one voted for any of this. Um, thank you so much, uh, Mark Moreno, for joining us. And thanks for, again for the great work that you did um, shining light on what these elitist weirdos are doing um, in Dubai at the climate conference. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Well, thank you, Rachel. Appreciate it. Thanks All right. a lot. 
Uh, by the way, I, I just off topic, I do love her description of COP25, COP28, the UN Climate Summit, the elitist weirdos, uh, which is actually very apt. Uh, and I appreciate that <laughs> she said that at the end. That was nice. Uh, so the state of Washington is trying to find people for doing this. And my analogies are not far off. When CNN proposes a carbon passport for travel, when major climate activists say in a declared climate emergency, you can't fly unless it is, quote, morally justifiable, unquote. And that means if you're going to Florida for a funeral, okay, maybe, maybe once every five years. If you're going for a vacation, not a chance. You can't do on a declared climate emergency. Uh, this is about equity. People in Nebraska or in Africa haven't flown in years, and you're taking your second flight in the last three years. That's above your carbon passport. This is, again, Soviet-style, Chinese social credit system, a world of limits. And this goes back to the Club of Rome in 1970, uh, 1972, I believe it was, the Club of Rome report, which is basically is all about austerity and crushing human development and making us essentially so that we are confined. And I think in the words of Jacinda Hardin, the former New Zealand prime minister, she said, stay in your bubble uh, during COVID. Uh, so, and that's what they want. That's probably the best thing. In fact, that'd be a good title to a book. Stay in your bubble, because that's exactly what they want you to do. You're in your bubble. Uh, and they meant that literally in, in COVID. I mean, you were allowed to go in Australia, New Zealand. You had like maybe a certain radius, a couple blocks, because they didn't want the virus to spread. And of course, they had the apps if you went to a grocery store, say, and you're registered on an app and you're just walking around. You come home six hours later, you get an alert saying you were exposed to someone who later tested positive for COVID. You have a choice. You can self-isolate at home or you can be forcibly moved to a quarantine camp. And if you don't tell them you're gonna self-isolate and allow them to check up and make sure you're at home, they will come visit your home and take you away. That's what they did during COVID. So that is why you stay in your bubble, whether it's your bubble of carbon passports for flying, whether it's in your bubble for driving a gas-powered car, driving across the country, stay at home orders, whether you're going two and a half hour flights, you're not gonna, you know, they're making everything more difficult to move. 15-minute cities are the ultimate stay in your bubble. And of course, if you don't do it, we see here right now proposals for jail time for people using gas-powered equipment. And I, just what I alluded to, if you actually look, and I think it was like five to 10 times more expensive for the electric equivalent. Now, obviously, price come down as if you're doing that, but they're once again banning the competition. And I always ask the same question. If what you're offering is so great, EVs, solar, wind, battery-powered landscaping equipment, why in the hell do you have to ban your uh, opposition? And again, this is like, it's like having a football team say, we are the greatest, Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest of all time, we're the greatest victory. And you show up on the field and you're all ready and you're like, We've, we're gonna win the Super Bowl, we're the winners, we're the best ever. And then you're like, well, where's the other team? When are you going to play? It's like, we're not playing. We ban the competition. We're here alone. We don't need to play them because we're the best. We are going to bring that utopian victory we've always wanted. Well, it's easy to have a utopia when you don't actually battle it out. And people would say, well, people just have to make the adjustment. You, know, they, you can't force, you got to force people, as, as uh, Larry Fink from BlackRock said, we got to use coercion to get people to go along with this agenda of climate and other things. Okay, statistician Bjorn Lomberg has a great uh, article out today, 4 billion people 
are dependent on fossil fuel fertilizer for food. Now, most of these fossil these fertilizers are based on fossil fuel, petroleum, but uh, based additives and in, in, in construction. Without four billion, without these fossil fuels, four billion people will starve to death. It's time to call out the astoundingly destructive and misanthropic campaigners who want to, quote, stop oil, unquote. And that's why you know, they're called Just Stop Oil. That's why I was calling it Just Stop Breathing, because they want to go after your breathing. But this campaign with the food is significant. It's frightening. Uh, and it's one more reason, by the way, why we should celebrate the utter failure of COP28. And I have here, let's see, let me get the number right. It's going to be, um, this is kind of silly here, but it's clip uh, four, me and Fox News with a cigar celebrating. Of course, we know we celebrated here with all the party hats and the confetti, but let's watch. I went on Fox News and did this. Take a look. Failure of a UN climate summit is good news. That's why yes. I brought a celebratory cigar. Yeah, let's celebrate the little victories. And this is a good thing. In terms of how you beat this, this was completely bonkers. I spent a week there. I just got back over the weekend in Dubai at this summit. It opened with Kamala Harris pledging billions to the UN Climate Fund in order for world leaders to keep other the poor nations poor, not so they, they can't develop. Then Gore and Kerry come up and talk about phase out of coal and gas. Then China starts talking about replacing all fossil fuels with renewables. So China is involved trying to get us more dependent upon them. Then the UN does a fashion show, multiple sustainable clothing events, and they defend the idea of three new items of clothing per year per person. Let's say it out loud. Net zero is a Soviet-style central planning technique that has to be roundly defeated. All right. Just wanted to have that again for fun. I'd shown you the confetti. I wanted to show you the, the cigar scene. And by the way, Fox News loved that so much. They did a separate post of just the cigar scene for their YouTube play edition. So that was fun. All right. Steve Malloy of JunkScience.com, who I'd like to have on as a guest here soon, Biden launches, this is his source, Biden launches against single family homes, $530 million to force changes in building codes to fight climate. Homes to be made, quote, pointlessly more expensive and less comfortable, unquote. Remember, the highways that they built out of the cities were now by Pete, uh, are now declared by Biden Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to be, quote, racist highways. The suburbs are allegedly racist. I live in Virginia outside of Washington, D.C., uh, and many of the suburbs there, one of the suburbs is Alexandria. They're now uh, putting in multi-zoned housing next to what was previously single-family homes in the name of equity. They are doing everything possible to break up single-family home, suburbia with yards. Uh, we have a um, professors have come out and questioned the idea of home ownership. Uh, I believe that was a Notre Dame professor who questioned that a couple years ago. They're going directly after, of course, car ownership. But this is now, this $530 million grant program is going to go to green building codes. Remember, it's not that they're going to ban housing or stop you, at least for a while, but um, and at least initially. But they're going to make everything so darn expensive. And as Steve Malloy so eloquently says, pointlessly more expensive, less comfortable, and harder to obtain. And that's the whole point. And that's what they're going to do with meat. They're not going to ban red meat necessarily. They're going to make it rare, scarce, ration it. They're going to have methane restrictions on all the livestock. They're going to have Bill Gates buy it up. Bill Gates is going to move uh, animals from the farm 
to the laboratory. And that's what it's really all about is that laboratory where they want to get everything can be controlled, everything can be processed, and everything is under the purview of just a few companies and fewer and fewer people at the top who make these decisions because why not? They're the smartest people in the room. They're the most credentialed. They have the best bloodlines, if you want to go that way, you know, the blue blood, so to speak. And I'm not talking about uh, police. I'm talking about the the royal blue bloods and the the fine lineage of, uh, you know, the elite schools and the Ivy League. Um, what's that called where you have uh, the, the uh, you go to school and your father went to, I can't remember the name. You, you uh, There's a phrase for it when you can get, you're almost guaranteed to get in. Uh, in fact, when Al Gore went to Harvard, they called it a gentleman C. This was according to um, Charlie Munger, uh, uh, the financial guru who just died recently. He had talked about Al Gore uh, should have gotten D's and S, but, they, but he got a gentleman C because of his family lineage. His father was a U.S. senator, etc. cetera. Um, and anyway, all right. Well, joining us today on the program is going to be Frank Gaffney, the chairman and exec the executive chairman for the Center for Security Policy. We're going to talk about threats to the U.S., not necessarily the foreign conflicts, but the other type of threats. And specifically, I want to talk about the threat of China economically and the threat of the World Health Organization, the pandemic treaty, and essentially medical authoritarianism and a couple other things. So when we come back, we'll have Frank Gaffney of the Center for Security Policy. This has been Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT Radio. Stay tuned. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former national security advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. So I think it's a mistake. Steve Malzberg on TNT Radio. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the national security advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. This moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization, 
brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com drug pricing points to corporate Freedom of the press is about your right to know. It's about your right to be informed. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. And your right to know about the world around us. We must protect our right to know, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Before it's too late, understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano here on TNT. We're joined now by Frank Gaffney, Executive Chairman of the Center for Security Policy. Uh, we're gonna talk about threats to America as he sees it. This is, uh, thank you, welcome to the program, Frank, uh, and welcome to Unleashed. Thank you, it's great to be with you. All right, here we sit at the end of 2023. So how would you characterize, what are some of the greatest threats you see to America at this moment? And I wanna say include both domestically internal threats and external threats. How would you characterize it? You don't have to go in depth on any of them. I'm just looking for sort of an overview list. Yeah. Well, enemies foreign and domestic, I think, is the right way to think about this. Um, yes. I believe the overwhelmingly most important of them, because it actually drives several of the others, is the threat we face from the Chinese Communist Party. It is uh, a transnational criminal organization that I think is engaged and has been for decades in an unrestricted war against us. Some of the attributes of it would qualify as great threats in their own right. Uh, specifically, I think the most important line of attack in that unrestricted warfare, and that would be uh, what the Chinese call elite capture. Uh, what they've done to suborn and otherwise, um, uh, well, uh, pull into their ranks, uh, people in this country who are helping them accomplish the takedown of the United States. Um, one of the means by which they're doing this, which is little understood, uh, I know you're focused on it as am I though, is um, this technique of global governance that they're yes. promoting through organizations like the UN and the World Health Organization. Um, they're not working on all this alone. Unfortunately, they've got help from people who have a very different end state in mind, to be sure, but share the view that we are the impediment to the realization of their respective ambitions. And that would include what I call Sharia supremacists, jihadis, if you will, um, those in this country, uh, as well as elsewhere, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and uh, the Iranian regime being prime 
uh, movers behind all of that. Uh, and then I guess finally, I would just say that um, uh, you have the globalists and they are not necessarily uh, the Chinese communists. They align with them, however, on a lot of things, including the idea of taking us down. Uh, they are not aligned necessarily with the jihadis, but they are also prepared to work with them uh, and taken all together, uh, both in terms of what these entities, these institutions, these nation states are involved in external to the United States and what they are doing inside it uh, with help from, you know, like-minded individuals here. Uh, we've got a world of hurt. I think it's fair to say on our hands. Okay. Well, I just came back from the globalists. I was at COP28 in Dubai and you had people like John Kerry to stand up and announce the end of coal as though he was, first of all, he's not elected. He's not even approved by the Senate. He has a $17 million state department budget. How do we get to the point where these unelected bureaucrats stand up and declare things that have major consequences? And he's got power, not because uh, because of his position necessarily in the Biden administration, but because he works with equity asset firms and environment, social governance, and they work with this whole agenda behind the scenes to essentially collude to take away without a vote, things like gas-powered cars, things like uh, red and meat eating, which is they're restricting severely. Again, no vote on this. How does that globalist agenda, how do we fight that? Because they seem, they own all the major organs. They own the corporate media, they own academia, they own the international organizations from the World Economic Forum, the WHO, and they own um, even our, uh, I would say a lot, most of our presidential candidates on both sides are just very establishment. How, how do we, how do we take back America, so to speak, from this agenda? Well, it's the right question to be asking, and I think it starts with precisely what we're doing right now, which is exposing it. You know, you can't fight it yeah. if you don't know that it's going on. And I think the secret to much of the success that these guys have had is that they are trying to get away with such techniques and, and uh, agendas. Um, sub rosa, as they say, um, out of public view, and certainly without the assent of the American people. And that's what's so infuriating about all of this is uh, they behave as though um, they have some kind of mandate uh, when in fact they don't. And more to the point, when they actually have that agenda exposed, by and large, people recoil in horror. They don't want any part of eating bugs or, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. being subject to the dictates of, uh, of a communist like Tedros Ghebreyesus, the uh, director general handpicked by the Chinese Communist Party to be their stooge at the World Health Organization. And yet they're about to try to uh, essentially make him responsible for public health policy in our country in a yeah. name of emergency, uh, you know, medical care and so on. Um, so much of this, I think, starts with uh, a, awareness. And then you have to get organized. You have to ensure, you know, you mentioned presidential candidates. Um, we are, we hope, going to have a presidential election in just a few months now. It's, a, it's less than a year. This kind of question ought to be put to every single person no. who is seeking our support as to be president. Uh, and if we don't get a satisfactory answer, we need to send them packing. All right, let's, let me go a little bit deeper into China and the infatuation. You have, um, you, know, you had an infatuation with Fidel Castro. I remember world leaders, Hollywood celebrities, uh, Steven Spielberg, everyone just seemed to be enamored with Castro. 
The same thing seems to be true of China. Now, Xi Jinping doesn't seem as personable. I understand Castro was an intellectual, was a rather charismatic, charming individual. But why the fascination with China? You have Tom Friedman, New York Times, on the pages of the New York Times, praise China's one-party rule, called them an enlightened group of people, said they could just get things done when they needed to. You have Justin Trudeau, the Canadian premier, who may be the bastard child of, of Fidel Castro. I say that half-jokingly. I haven't looked into it, but I, I, I've seen a lot of funny funny memes on that. But say, Justin Trudeau. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and Justin Trudeau saying he admires China's basic dictatorship. You have the Apple CEO, Tim Cook, saying Apple's values and China's values align on climate. You have the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab praising China, the UN Secretary General praising China's system. It's not even so much China or Xi Jinping. They're praising that one-party rule. And I would argue that when March 2020 came and Donald Trump mistakenly signed on to the uh, – he did two things wrong. He, he signed on to the emergency declaration, which gave dictatorial powers to mayors and governors. And he did the, the 10 days to flatten the curve, which was now we know was he was duped by Deborah Burks and Fauci. But essentially, the whole world in March of 2020 followed the Chinese one party rule model. Just to, to be clear, the most consequential decisions of our life were made without an ounce of democracy. Church closures, school closures, canceled medical, canceled funerals, uh, stay-at-home orders, forced vaccines and forced masking. Why is so many of our intellectual leaders enamored with China and with the one-party system? Because it seems like that's why they loved COVID so much. And of course, now they want a climate emergency, which would NBC News said would give Joe Biden similar powers to the COVID emergency. So what is that enamorate and enamor? I understand Castro. I'm gonna and you give me your comment on this. Is the Castro being enamored with Castro like uh, a lot to do just with his personality and charisma? Uh and you know, even Michael Moore saying they had better health care. But how do you explain China and how do you compare the two? Is it the same just sort of a communist impulse or Marxist impulse in these intellectual leaders that like Cuba and China? It goes back to what I said at the beginning. I believe that the single most dangerous piece of the unrestricted warfare, the agenda that the Chinese Communist Party has been engaged in against us for decades, is the elite capture. And whether they're captured on the basis of romantic notions or ideological affinity or whether they're uh, compromised, uh, perhaps through one technique or another, uh, sexual predilections, what have you, right. or more often than not, they're simply bought. They simply are going to be, they believe, uh, garnering some kind of uh, financial benefit, usually, from extolling the virtues of the Chinese Communist Party or the person of Xi Jinping who happens to be the leader at the moment. Look, uh, there's no accounting for the enthusiasm that uh, people have for uh, megalomaniacal tyrants uh, who are Dennis more often Rodman than and not known for their murderousness. Dennis Whether Rodman in North or Korea and, or any of those. Yeah. yeah, Dennis Rodman uh, and, and Kim Il Jung is one of the things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, it's it's a it fits a better. But the the point is that whether it is out of a naivete or whether it is for one or the other of these more venal reasons, I believe that what you see again and again and again is people who are not living under the misrule of these monsters uh, yeah. and have no intention of living under them, or if they somehow were to find themselves doing so, expect to benefit from it, to be treated well, to be treated differently than everybody else under those tyrannies. 
they will be the first taken to the wall and shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember it brings back Walter Durante and his coverage of Stalin's uh, Soviet Union, the early days, that sort of... It, what so then the answer Tom, Tom is that Friedman is his successor uh, these days, but uh, the New York know, Times, yes, there are, there are countless yeah. examples of this. Uh, again, I think personal corruption usually, but whatever the motivation is, it is a grievous disservice to the rest of us, and most especially young people who don't know better. And when they are inculcated with this nonsense, when they're encouraged, not least by an instrument like TikTok. Yeah which is brainwashing them, which is using algorithms and seductive techniques to misinform them and, and essentially persuade them um, not only that um, whoever the leader du jour may be uh, is, you know, to be admired, but the system is to be preferred over freedom. Man, this is this is the height of uh, villainy, I think. And what it does is it really sets the stage for the takedown of the last best hope for mankind, which is this country. And uh, yeah. that's certainly the purpose of all of these characters. All right, let's talk about China and the World Health Organization. The World Health Organizations, the, the, I guess some of their top funders are China, United States government, and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and with his Gabby. Now, depending on the year, I believe if you combine the two Bill Gates, he's, he's probably the number one funder, maybe exceeding China. First of all, the first question is: Does Bill Gates oh, certainly have a, exceeding is, China, but actually exceeding us as well? We're exceeding we're us considerably more than China. So, what is the um, connection with Bill Gates in China, and then what is the connection with China and Tedros and this whole world health? Because if you remember, and I'll just set this up this way: in January of 2020, the World Health sent their investigative committee over to China, and what was the? And I have actual newspaper headlines and article headlines saying. If you want to fight this virus, copy what China is doing. And what was China doing? The most authoritarian response in the history of viruses. You know, we had, we had the hazmat suits on, locking people in their homes, nailing on doors. Allegedly, people were dropping in the street. The World Health Organization completely endorsed that. So how did we get to that point where we went down that road for a virus where they had previously all the pandemic uh, literature and peer-reviewed papers that all said lockdowns don't work, mask mandates don't work, any kind of panic doesn't work. They went full panic. How did it happen? What was Bill Gates' role? What was China's role? What was Tedros' role? And how did it infect America? How did we follow that route, especially with a Republican president? Yeah. Mark, thank you for bringing this up. This is such an important. It's a I, I asked you about fourteen questions, but still. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it's it's worth taking some time to develop it. I appreciate having the time. Look, what happened here, I think, uh, has to be traced well before the first instance of uh, uh, the pandemic in America. Uh, probably at least October of 2019, maybe even earlier, when, as a result, it turns out of the collusion between um, Tony Fauci and his organization uh, working with uh, the National Institutes of Health and uh, the CDC and so on, and the Defense Department, uh, began uh, working with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, a biological warfare laboratory of the Chinese Communist Party in Wuhan, China, uh, using, among other cutouts, uh, Peter Daszak, 
who it turns out uh, with EcoHealth Alliance was one of the people the World Health Organization asked to help go investigate. <laughs> What's going on here in this yeah. gambling den? Well, the point is, we had an inside game played. As I said, the enemies within cannot be underestimated. And I would put Tony Fauci as one of them, a man who benefited personally from the idea that uh, there are no remedies for this disease other than a new and inadequately tested vaccine yeah. from which he would profit. Um, you had uh, the Dasheks and others who were perfectly prepared to help cover up what was going on to disguise the nature of the origins of this thing and thereby make it that much more difficult to figure out what to do about it. Uh, and then this enormous collusion between U.S. bureaucrats, uh, including Fauci, of course, but others who uh, went down the road of saying that uh, there could not be um, early treatment of this disease with either hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, two well-tested, safe, reliable, inexpensive, widely available therapies. Um, you had to give those off the table, only uh, remdesivir, which turns out murders people, and yeah. these uh, dangerous uh, so-called vaccines, gene therapies, were to be used. All of which brings us to the main point of your question, which is absolutely essential to understand. When you saw the inside efforts uh, essentially corrupting, I believe, the Trump administration, Working hand in glove with, yes, the World Health Organization, which, as I indicated earlier, under a director general, Tedros Ghebreyesus, a communist Marxist from Ethiopia, pulled in specifically by the Chinese Communist Party, as it does elsewhere with other international organizations to run it working together with the Chinese Communist Party. And yes, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Bill Gates says he got 20 times the return on his investments yeah. in these vaccines uh, as a result of this arrangement, all of which can be described as basically, you said it yourself, the China model. And yes, it was put into place instead of our established pandemic response. Yes, it was dictated to us basically by China. Yes, it was blessed uh, in its advisory role by the World Health Organization. But that turned into a kind of diktat when the Fauci's and others said, oh, yes, we have to do it this way. And it brings me to this larger point, which I think you uh, are absolutely right to want to focus on. Given all of that, folks, could we possibly contemplate, let alone accede to, the idea that we're going to turn over permanently the opportunity to decide what constitutes a public health emergency of international concern, so-called, exclusively at the moment to a guy like Tedros Ghebreyesus, and worse, that we're going to then allow him to dictate, not advice, dictate to us what we will do in response to that. And it needn't be, by the way, a pandemic, folks. It can be uh, climate change, <laughs> going back to John Kerry. It yeah. can be gun violence. It can be abortion. Who knows what they'll decide? But they can tell us if we don't stop it, they can come May, 
get agreements put into place that formalize our surrender of our sovereignty and our personal medical freedom as well to an unaccountable communist dictator like Tedros Cabrasis. We're we're talking with Frank Gaffney, the chairman of the Center for Security Policy. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano. We'll be right back after this. And I'm going to get a little bit more deeper into this pandemic treaty and the timelines. And I think it's coming up. uh, Who's having another meeting in Switzerland, I believe, in the spring. The Biden administration is actually pushing for more restrictions than the WHO is even proposed. So we'll be right back with Frank Gaffney. Stay tuned. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. A few weeks ago, it was brutally cold across Europe. That colder air moved into the northern and central parts of Siberia, and it's now moving through China, where they've had some of the coldest temperatures that they've ever recorded. Now, this cold air, when it comes out over the Pacific, is going to cause a very interesting phenomenon. We're going to see this big upper air low pressure system really get cranking around the Aleutians. When that happens, the whole weather pattern in North America, which has been very, very warm, is going to change. What will happen is you'll get a big upper high pressure system that will develop in response to that over the western part of North America. And that will send the Arctic air down into North America, especially the central and eastern part of the United States, for January. Now, what's interesting is This is known as the bathtub slosh theory, except that it doesn't really slosh. The theory is if it's cold on one side of the pole, a month to a month and a half later, it gets cold on the other side of the pole. But the way it accomplishes it is through a process where the cold air in Asia moves out over the water, and because the water is warm, causes the development of this big upper air storm, which in turn changes the weather pattern across North America. So we are not only the climate watchdog, but we're the weather watchdog. And while we've had a North American December exactly opposite of last year, well, guess what? Winter quit last year in January and February in North America. It looks like it's going to start coming out gangbusters this year, but not till after Christmas. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Prescription drug pricing points to corporate mountain. Freedom of the press is about your right to know. It's about your right to be informed. Today, there are real threats to press freedom and your right to know about the world around us. We must protect our right to know, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Before it's too late, understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to Unleashed. We're talking with Frank Gaffney, chairman of the Center for Security Policy, with some fantastic analysis he's giving us here. Okay, uh, Frank, I wanted to switch over, uh, continue on on the same path. This WHO pandemic treaty, I'm going to read to you this from the UK Telegraph. It says member states of which the United States would be part of this pandemic treaty would be, quote, obliged to follow the WHO's instructions when responding to pandemics, including vaccine passports, border closures, quarantine measures, and uh, under this draft update to the regulations. It would require members who recognize the WHO's guidance and coordinating authority to undertake their recommendations to any international public health response. Now, my first question is, what's wrong with that? The who has got all the top credentialed experts in the world. Why shouldn't we follow the science? Go ahead. How would you respond? 
<laughs> well, first of all, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> they don't they don't have anything remotely like all the world's credentials well that, that's the popular so view of course yeah no, no but it, it's the false narrative that we're yes, being encouraged course. to believe and on the basis of that we are being told that this is a perfect example of the opportunity for what the chinese communists and others call global governance that all of the power, all of the knowledge, all of the authority can reside in some international organization that is wholly unaccountable to any of us, for sure. The antithesis of the very basis for our own government, which is that it is A, limited, and B, accountable to the people of this country. This is, again, being done without public consent, even debate, even knowledge, really. And yes, there have been a series of meetings. There are a couple more coming up, but the big one is basically pre-cooked. And that is in May, at the end of May, there will be in Geneva, Switzerland, a meeting of what's called the World Health Assembly, which is supposed to represent all of the nations that are participating in the World Health Organization. And they will either, without you know, objection, accept, or in the event there is an objection, by a straight majority vote, adopt um, this, uh, uh, well, compact or uh, agreement or framework. They're not supposed to call it a treaty because if it's a treaty, Mark, you know what <laughs> right, that might mean. <laughs> it actually has to go through a constitutional process in our country, meaning that the Senate of the United States needs to be what yes. it was designed to be by our founders, namely a quality control instrument on any agreement because they understood those geniuses who set this country up that you could, through international agreements, change the character of our country. And that is exactly what the Biden administration is doing. And uh, there was a hearing in the United States House of Representatives uh, a week or so ago in which uh, people came forward from the administration, three official witnesses directly involved in this process, and under oath, they perjured themselves by insisting that there was going to be no change, let alone a diminution, to say nothing of the crushing of our sovereignty as a result of what they're cooking up. But the Senate of the United States, interestingly enough, when Senator Ron Johnson, I think the best guy in the yes. body. I just sought, met him again. He is really my favorite senator. Sorry. Yeah. Sought, sought a vote, formal vote, by the United States Senate that whatever comes out of this process, whether, by the way, it's a treaty or a framework agreement or whatever else they're calling this, or alternatively, modifications seems innocuous amendments to the so-called international health regulations or worse yet both doing exactly the same thing which is to transform fundamentally transform as barack obama's phrase the world health organization from this more or less innocuous if incompetent cat's paw for the chinese communist party and advisory body into a dictatorial global government's instrument. And you know what the United States Senate did when it was asked to have that vote by Senator Johnson? It voted 49 to 47 against doing its job. 
basically right. saying that whatever these guys cook up in Geneva is fine with us. We will not even consider it, let alone require a two-thirds majority vote to approve it. So unless something is done right quick, and again, I'm so grateful to you for spending you know this time to talk with your audience about it, because it does start with exposing what's happening here. And hopefully we can still muster the resolve to assure that uh, this is not our fate. Well, let me tell you, uh, and I'm sure you're probably aware of this or maybe not, but right before the COP28 summit I went to in Dubai, 200 medical journals came out, including the British Medical Journal, some of the most prestigious journals, and they had done something similar about two years ago too. And they called for climate change to be declared a public health emergency by the World Health Organization and the UN. Now, when climate crosses that threshold from an environmental issue to a public health issue. I want you to go through what that could possibly mean. And just one other thing, Harvard School of Medicine has actually said unchecked climate change leads to more COVID-like viruses. So the implication is if you don't support, if you don't support sort of the Green New Deal, you're a grandma killer because you're going to end up with more viruses. But how significant is 200 medical journals urging the World Health Organization to consider climate change part of public health and a public health emergency? Well, it's obviously bad news if you believe that what they've got in mind for us is uh, is unacceptable. But frankly, I don't know that it mattered that much because you were there. You know that they devoted a full day under the auspices of the World Health Organization to Tedros Ghebreyesus and others holding forth about exactly this point. Yeah. that climate change um, is all about a health emergency and that it must be responded to as such. So again, this is all part of the larger agenda of using whatever instruments are available, uh, whether it's the Chinese Communist Party's subversion, whether it's their elite capture, whether it's uh, uh, these instruments of uh, uh, global governance or other means, they are about taking us down as a free, independent, sovereign nation. And I think those journals are simply adding, you know, the uh, intellectual patina of uh, medical authority to the uh, program. But with or without it, these various actors, uh, whether it's the John Kerry's or the you know, uh, Obama Biden 3.0 administration more generally, or whether it's the European Union or the World Economic Forum, or uh, of course, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, uh, the Bill Gates, Melinda Gates Foundation, the uh, Big Pharma. I mean, all of these folks have a similar kind of idea in mind that is, they will be better off if they run everything. And the little people um, who will be confined to uh, their 15-minute cities and, uh, you know, will eat bugs yeah. and who will have nothing <laughs> and all the rest of that craziness will have this instrument used to bring it about. And, and this is the key point, if I may just make one other illustration of what they have in mind for us. You sort of touched on it a moment ago, but to effect the kind of change that they're talking about, whether it's change in terms of your carbon footprint or whether it's change in terms of uh, protecting the world from various uh, diseases, there has to be a global surveillance system 
put into place yeah. that will monitor everything and will enable the various techniques to be used to ensure that controls are exercised over it, meaning us. And that's what's so worrying. We call it the digital gulag. We've done a series yeah. of terrific webinars at uh, our stopvaccinepassports.org site. Um, this is uh, the you know infrastructure for the destruction of freedom that is very much part of what these various characters have in mind. And again, I, I, uh, I've been called a conspiracy theorist. I suspect you have as well. Don't take my word for it, folks. This is what these people are explicitly subscribing to, um, engineering, and pulling off, if not stopped. Yes. Um, one question, a, a, a philosophical question. Why is it that throughout history, it seems as though the ruling class has always tried to invent ways where the rest of us can't be free. And it usually involves war, crisis, uh, some kind of pandemic or something. And now, of course, it's climate change and it's viruses. What is that impulse? They really do believe they're the breast and vitus. They really do believe they're the most credentialed. They really do believe that we need to be ruled over. And I guess you'd go back to, what, 1913 with... Woodrow Wilson being presented with the idea of the administrative state to make elections inconsequential ultimately, because I guess I hate to say the word deep state or the phrase, but is that really that impulse? Are we seeing that? Has that been unmasked since March of 2020 with COVID and to more and more people, they can now just see the naked advance of power by this, I hate to call them the ruling class, but you know, the governing class, whatever you want to call them. Well, let me put it starkly i i think this is the human condition yeah there is a struggle that has been with us i believe from eve and adam on between good and evil and evil takes the form of this kind of uh, typically brutal control of as many people as the tyrant in question can get their hands on and the good usually outnumbered, uh, often relatively impotent compared to the evil, um, is consigned to struggling to remain uh, good, remain free for that matter. And it's never been more of a contest, I would argue, than it is at this very moment uh, in a time such as this. We, we find ourselves, through God's grace in my view, um, in this fight for the triumph of good over evil uh, and unfortunately uh, the deck seems pretty stacked against us at the moment so it, it behooves us and again i commend you for using your platform to both expose all of this and hopefully inspirit people to rise to the challenge to which i believe we are called by god which is to try to uh, preserve freedom and defeat whichever form this evil takes. And unfortunately, it's uh, as I said earlier, I think, Mark, the various aspects of evil have set aside for the moment the natty question about who in the end among them will run everything, will be in control, because they have an immediate common purpose, which is destroying us. Wow, well said. All right, well, thank you so much. Frank Gaffney, Executive Chairman, Center for Security Policy. Thank you for this 
really calm, rational, and in-depth discussion we had today. I enjoyed it. Very philosophical and fact-based. So thank you so much, Frank Gaffney, for joining um, uh, Unleashed today. Thank you for doing it. Glad to be with you. All right. Thank you. Merry Christmas. And we'll see you tomorrow on Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT Radio. Thanks for watching and listening.